Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. So yesterday, Sue and I were finishing up decorating our family room Christmas tree. We'd actually put it up like right after Thanksgiving, but uh, uh, Sue wanted to add some more foo-foo fluff to it. So uh, she had this, uh, these golden uh, ribbons, and uh, so I got on a chair, set it up high on the tree. This is a different tree, by the way, so I do have a purpose for that. But anyway, so uh, that actually is a picture of our tree at home up there on the screen. So I put that gold ribbons up there, fastened it up there, and as she's unfurling the ribbon, the gold ribbon down, the four different strips of ribbon, where she wanted it, because, you know, it has to be the perfect place, right? Uh, It covered this other cool little uh, bell ornament that, I don't know where we got it, we've had it for a few years, but it says joy to the world on it. So as she's unfurling one of those ribbons, it actually covered that. And she said, well, here, you're going to have to move this. And so so, uh, she said, put this somewhere else. So I took it off. I walked over to the other side of the tree. And, and there's actually a picture you can hardly, you know, maybe you can see it there. But I put it up towards the top of the tree in this kind of this open area. And when I put it up there, Sue looked up and she said, that's the perfect place for that ornament. Afterwards, I got to thinking when I was a child how I would help decorate our Christmas tree. And after I got done helping, me and my sister, my mom would go around and uh, rearrange uh, because you know when, when I when I decorate a tree, come on, when you're a kid, you know you just kind of you don't have you don't there, no 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 ornament has a perfect place. Any place you put it's a perfect place, right? Sometimes you throw it up there, see if it'll stick, right? <laughs> but um, I got to I got to thinking, um, isn't it interesting how the older we get, the more we want things to fit together, to make sense, to have meaning, to have purpose, to have a perfect place. Not just in how we decorate our Christmas tree, but in, but in life in general, right? Whether you're a person of faith or not, you, me, we're all compelled to try to make sense out of life. It's not something we're consumed with, but I'll tell you when it really comes front and center, it's those times that we encounter a negative event, some type of traumatic or tragic event, because that's, that's when we really want to be able to connect the dots. We want to know what branch of our life tree that we're supposed to hang that event on right? We want to know what purpose that event has in our life. But if you were to walk into our living room, our front room, and look at that tree, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily notice any specific design or pattern. It would just look like a bunch of cool uh, ornaments and colors and some fluffy ribbon coming down from the top. And, and it, it would look pretty, but you wouldn't necessarily see any specific design in it. But I guarantee you there was purpose behind how we decorated that tree. And a lot of you are, are the same way. This is one of our smaller trees that we put by our fireplace in the front room. We actually have three trees. Uh, we have the, the main one that you just saw in our front room. We have one in, in, in the basement uh, that is our, is our, it's for our grandkids. And just uh, FYI, guys, uh, if, if you've got a man cave right now and you don't have any grandkids, when you have grandkids, no more man cave. It becomes a grandkid cave, just, just letting you know that, right? So we have a tree downstairs that's for the grandkids, and we're going to have them over Wednesday, and we have a kind of a sleepover with all the grandkids, and they get to decorate that tree and so forth. This is kind of one of our traditions. But, 
But anyway, but I assure you, even on this one, I brought this tree up here uh, as a prop, kind of. And uh, even this, and, and of course, after I came up, Sue had to come up and make sure that to rearrange the ornaments. And, and you know, you look at that, it just looks kind of random, but I guarantee you there was purpose and design behind how we decorated that. Because we want life to make sense, right? We want to have the right branch for the right ornament. But what happens, what happens if you don't have or don't see the right place for the right ornament? What do you do then? See, when, when good things happen to us, we don't have any problem finding purpose. In fact, lots of times we don't even look for it. Because if it serves our purpose, it's good, right? It's when bad things happen that we want to see purpose in it. You know, as I look back over my life and I see how God orchestrated the events of my life in a way that, for example, when I uh, met Sue, and you look at our family now, and we have, uh, well, in March we'll be 14 grandkids. And so when I kind of look back over that, and I, I was just looking at our family picture the other day, and that thing just came undone again. But anyway, but I don't, I don't have, as I look back over my life and see how Sue brought, uh, or, or how God brought Sue to Bible school when I was there, and, and, and I could share the story, we don't have time for that, but just I look back over that and I see how, how God brought us together, and you know, and there's purpose in that. I, I, it's easy. I, I got a place for that, right? And then I kind of look back, you know, fast forward a couple years, we come up here to Wellsville, to this church, we work as youth pastors for a year. And then we move away, and I go back to seminary and Bible school, finish my degree and so forth. Um, but after about seven years, the pastor that was here resigned. But because of our previous relationships from being at the church before, the church contacts us, hey, would you like to come back and be the pastor? So in August of 1988, we move back here, and we become the pastors. And so, and that's all good. I mean, not, not quite as smiley as my married, you know, because... That, I had a honeymoon to look forward to. This, this, is, this is just my, you know, so yeah, I had, I had ministry. So yeah, I mean, you know, God opened up this door for, for ministry for us. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any problem finding a place for that. You know, that, that's easy. But what about those not so fun, not so amazing, in fact, sometimes tragic events that happen to us? Most of you know that between Chelsea and Evan, we had a full-term stillborn 37 weeks, little baby Kasia. And um, while Sue was recovering, I was out shopping for a baby casket. How messed up is that? Who even knew they made baby caskets? So tell me, God, where's the perfect place for that? Because, you know, I, I mean, I can, I can walk around this thing a bunch of times. Uh, I don't care, any place I put it, I don't think it's going to fit in very well, right? What do we do with those events? Where do we hang those on our life tree, right? Those are the times when we're most likely to view life as very random, no meaning or purpose, and look, I'm sure every one of you, you have your own story of struggling for certain things to fit into the purpose of your life as well. But here's what you need to know. That thing in us that longs to connect the dots and tries to make sense out of even the tragic and traumatic situations of life, that is the image of God stamped 
on our souls. Or as Solomon so poetically phrased it in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, look, he said, God has put eternity in our hearts. Actually, the full context of his statement was this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. In other words, there's something in us that knows there's more to life than just this life. He continues, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, we all long for a narrative that makes sense out of things, an explanation for what's going on in the world, but more specifically, what's going on in our world. And we long for one because there is one, because there is one. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We assume there's a plan. And when things go off the rails, from our perspective, that's when we're most interested in knowing what that plan is, right? That's when we look for reassurances that God, that there's purpose in this somehow, that God is still in control, that God is still up to something. So, of course, we ask why. Because we're made in the image of a purposeful God who created a purpose-filled world. You think about the phrases that we've coined around this notion. These aren't even religious or, or church statements. They're just, they're just human phrases that flow out of the image of God's nature in all of us. We say things like, everything happens for a reason, right? Things like, I don't believe in coincidence. Things like, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Or I guess her time had come. And, you know, and th this is so ingrained in us, it's virtually impossible to live any other way. We just want the events of our life, especially if there's suffering and pain involved, we want, we want all that to connect to something, don't we? We want to know that there's some purpose in that. We want to know if there, that there's an end game for what we're going through. And when it's not apparent how it connects, what do we do? We go searching. We go searching. But it doesn't matter who you are or what stage of life you're at, we all eventually, listen, we all eventually bump into something or ex experience something that brings us to that question, Man, what's going on here anyway? Why am I here? Could it be, listen, listen, dear ones. Could it be that that longing in you, that desire, as C.S. Lewis refers to it, to try and put the events of our life together in a way that makes sense on our life tree, could it be that even those negative traumatic events, that even in our suffering, even that came from somewhere? And possibly from someone and maybe, just maybe, you have eternity stamped on your heart. The Christmas story is actually a reminder that that thing in us that wants the dots to connect isn't to be ignored. It's a reminder that the world is not as random at times as it appears to us. Christmas reminds us that even in those seemingly random moments, those unexpected interruptions, even then God, God is at work. That the, that the dots do in fact connect. There is a purpose in the placement of events of your life on your tree of life. Christmas is a reminder that from time to time, God chooses to interrupt our stories as well. And that it's okay to look up and ask why. Why? Where do I go from here, God? What purpose does this serve? And those questions actually reflect the fact of your faith, not a lack of faith. Here's why. There's a difference between questioning God and asking God a question. And you need to know that. 
Of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, only Matthew and Luke recorded the Christmas story, but you probably knew that. And it's interesting because Luke apparently knew that if he told the entire story as it was told to him, eh, a lot of people might have a hard time believing that, just like many people today have a hard time believing the Christmas story. So, so Luke does kind of this preemptive strike by assuring us that he's not making this stuff up, that, that he's not the only person trying to, to piece this story together, and that he researched this story extensively. In other words, he did his homework. We see that in his introduction, he begins the gospel this way, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, many, not just me, this isn't just me, right? There's a lot of other people who've checked into the story as well, tried to figure it out. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke said, hey, I talked to eyewitnesses, okay? I talk, I, this is legit. I talked to eyewitnesses that saw this. Right? Luke says, look, I, look, I'm not the only person who's discovered and, and come to believe the story that I'm about to tell you. Other people believe this as well. He continues in verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, the best that we can tell, Theophilus was a, a first century Christian who had uh, heard stories about Jesus, but he wanted to know more. He wanted to know the entire story. So, so Luke kind of pieces the story together to kind of help him out. And here's how he begins the story. Skip down to verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. The King James Version says they were cousins. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but she was related to Mary uh, or to uh, Elizabeth somehow. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, but you knew that, didn't you? Just another random arranged marriage that was about to experience a massive interruption that would disrupt everything because, now watch this, because God's story, God's purpose was about to collide with Mary's story and Mary's purpose. We don't know anything about Mary before the angel Gabriel interrupted her life. All we know is that she was planning to marry Joseph, that it was probably an arranged marriage. She probably didn't even know Joseph that well for all we know, right? She was a teenager, we know that. But her plans were to get married, uh, marry this carpenter, lead a quiet life like her mother and her mother's mother. She probably, again, she probably barely knew Joseph and uh, again, a, likely an arranged marriage. But even that was orchestrated by God. So Mary would marry. She'd probably live and die in the same little community where she grew up. And she would just be another nameless, faceless person whose life came and went that left no record, no evidence that she'd ever even lived. But the time had come for another chapter in the story of the redemption of the human race, a chapter that would intersect with and interrupt with the stories of the people that God chose to further his story. Luke continues with the Christmas story in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, from Mary's point of view, she's not sure if this is good news or bad news, right? In fact, at this point, she's probably pretty confused about what's going on. The, the word that Luke used to describe Mary at this point was troubled. She was troubled. Verse 29, Mary was greatly, not just troubled, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Knowing that Mary was troubled, the angel tries to comfort her and ease her mind in verse 30. But the angel said, 
to her, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found, here's that word again, favor with God. In other words, you've been singled out for a purpose, Mary. God's going to invade your story, Mary, and it's going to appear like your life is really messed up, right? But, but it's not. It's really not. All along, God's going to be pulling the strings here, Mary. But you need to know that things aren't going to play out the way that you imagined they would. In fact, here's what's going to happen, Mary. Verse 31, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Which is not exactly what Mary had planned, was it? That's not what she had planned. What? Israel hadn't had an independent king in over 500 years. She, she was more worried about her story. Forget about this thing, Israel's story, right? But all of a sudden, her story took this sudden, abrupt, bizarre detour. So she asked the angel, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Literal translation, uh, so Gabriel, where does this fit on my life tree? Because I, I don't see a perfect place for that on my life tree, right? I don't think I have a category for something like that. See, from her point of view, this wasn't good news at all. This was the most disturbing thing she had ever encountered. The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, so you know we read that and because we've heard this story so many times, we really can't appreciate the fear and uncertainty that Mary must have been, been experiencing at this point. Right? Are, are you sure that I'm highly favored here? I mean... Are you sure that I shouldn't be afraid? The angel continues. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And you know what? You know what we call Jesus today? The Son of God. Right? Now, this all sounded so definite, as if Mary had little choice in the matter. It's like God showed up in history and said, no, 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 you don't understand. This isn't about the plans of man. This is about the will of God. Right? And while you not, might not be able to see my hand at work in the details of your life right now, that doesn't mean life is random. Just because you can't figure it out, just because you can't find the perfect spot on the tree, doesn't mean that God's not in control. I am the God of purpose, and everything happens according to my will. But then Mary's life got back to normal, or at least as normal as life could be when you're carrying the Son of God. Right? The angel Gabriel disappears as suddenly as he had appeared. And from what we're told, Gabriel never showed up to Mary again. But you know what? I'll bet she wished he had. Because all of a sudden, her life was going to get very, very complicated. The angel continues. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to, be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You know, the original language here is really interesting. I remember my, my Greek professor in seminary, Dr. Grizzle, great guy. He once described the Greek language as sometimes being very literal, very wooden, like he would take wooden blocks and, and piece things together. He said sometimes Greek structure is like that. You're kind of piecing wooden pieces together. And so here's one of those places, because here's the literal translation of this verse. For not impossible with God is anything. Isn't that great? That's not like something Yoda on Star Wars would say, right? For not impossible with God is anything, right? For not impossible with God, perhaps not. But from Mary's perspective, everything just got a little more complicated. Luke continues, 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And as you know, God had his way. Joseph married Mary as quickly as can be arranged because there were still rumors. For months, she had to put up with the stares of the children, the sideway glances of the, the ladies around town when she would go get water, when she would go to the marketplace, the whispers when she would walk by. Miss Highly Favored, I'm sure she, where do I put that on my life tree? Where's, where's that angel when I need him? Gabriel, where do I put that? Where do I put the, the side glances, the whispers? Where do I put that? Then a month or so before the baby was due, Caesar Augustus threw another wrench into the rear gears of Mary's life by announcing a census had to be taken for the entire Roman world and that Joseph, her husband, would have to travel to Bethlehem to register for the census. And so Joseph does the math and he realizes that he might miss the birth of his child. But apparently Mary does the math as well. And she informed Joseph in so many terms that he was not going to miss the birth of that baby because I'm going with you. All right. So they load up and they head up. And now Miss Highly Favored, right, was getting ready to do what every pregnant woman longs to do. Take a road trip. All right. <laughs> Next thing she knows, she's riding a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 100 miles away. Trying to bring some perspective here. Manhattan, Kansas is about 90 miles. Many of you have driven that. But see, it's one thing to drive to Manhattan, Kansas in your minivan on I-70. Takes about you know, a little over an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes. It's another thing to ride on the back of a donkey along the Santa Fe Trail to Manhattan, Kansas, because that takes about two 15-hour days. Where does Mary hang that? Where does Miss Highly Favored hang that on her life tree, right? Where's that angel when she needs him? And you know the story. By the time they arrived in Bethlehem, there's no rooms available, Took so long to get there. But while they were in Bethlehem, the city of David, she in fact gave birth to a son, and they named him Jesus, just as the angel instructed them. And then things go from uncomfortable to unsafe. They get word that King Herod felt so threatened by rumors of the birth of a future Jewish king that in typical Herod fashion, he unleashes a wave of terror to ensure the baby king would not survive infancy. Where does Mary hang that? On her life tree, right? So Joseph and Mary have to escape to Egypt about 200 miles further from home, further from family, further from normal, further from what was planned, what was expected. And then Mary gets the worst news imaginable. Herod sends his ruthless troops into the city of Bethlehem with orders to kill every Jewish boy two years old and under. And while I'm sure there was some relief knowing that her son was safe for the moment, you had to know, look moms, you had to know the weight of grief, knowing that it was because of the news of her son's birth that caused the death of those little baby boys. Dozens of them. We don't know, we're not told how many. And she would never be able to set foot inside the town of Bethlehem again. So once again, her highly favored status made her an outcast. Where was their purpose in the needless slaughter of perhaps dozens of baby boys. It's like, God, you warned us. Couldn't you have warned those other moms? Where do I put that on my life tree, God? Where do I put that? Where's the perfect place for that in my life? Jesus grows to be a toddler, then a teenager, and finally an adult. 
but controversy followed him all throughout his three plus years of ministry and if something didn't change it was apparent something this wasn't going to end well for him for her son turned rabbi turned prophet and according to some even the messiah eventually mary highly favored of god received news that her son was in jerusalem that he'd been arrested, beaten, and taken to Pilate where the religious leaders were insisting on his execution. And she stood on the street and wept and wept as she watched him drag his cross to the place where Rome's enemies were crucified. She stood in the crowd and she watched him die. Mary watched her son die. Can you imagine, moms, not just watching your son die, but die the most awful, horrific death possible? What purpose could possibly be served in that? And where does Mary hang that on her life tree? Think about it. She literally watched the worst possible thing happen to the best person who ever lived, her son. Two and a half days later, the way that we measure days, she would find herself in the presence of her risen son, Savior and Lord. And the narratives of her life were compressed in such a way that within days, what made no sense, all of a sudden made almost, not quite, but almost perfect sense. Almost perfect sense. Turns out there was nothing, listen, listen, dear ones, there was nothing random about all those events at all. As difficult as they were, as traumatic as they were, Turns out Gabriel was right all along. She really was highly favored among women. And if Jesus can be trusted, you too can be highly favored by God. So at Christmas, we're reminded that on occasion, on occasion, God interrupts the lives of men and women in order to give a push on the flywheel of his plan and purpose for the human race. Mary wasn't the first. She wouldn't be the last. Jesus disrupted the lives of some Galilean fishermen to ensure that his story survived the persecution and the chaos of the first century. God interrupted the life of a, of a Christian hater and persecutor named Saul, changed his name to Paul, and recruited him to carry the message of Jesus beyond the borders of Judea and Galilee. And there would be others. Some we know, some we'll never know. Men and women whose plans were interrupted so that they too could participate in the story of redemption but the story of christmas reminds us of something else as well and this is so important it reminds us that perfect faith isn't faith that moves god perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust god when he doesn't seem to be moving or when he doesn't seem that he's moving in the right direction or that he's allowing things to move in the wrong direction the Apostle Paul would come along later and, and he would kind of state this same idea, but in, in, in more theological terms. Here's what he said in Ephesians 1.11. He said, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the, say this next word with me, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the, say this next word with me as well, purpose of his will. You see what Paul's saying here, don't you? He's saying that in spite of how things look in my life right now, God really does have a plan and a purpose. Mary would say something similar. 
But she stated in more personal, endearing terms. When the angel delivered the unsettling news that her life had been permanently interrupted, Mary simply said this, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. That's a huge statement, folks. Huge. Because it shows us that Mary was finally able to wrap her mind around this very important lesson as Jesus followers. And if you get nothing else out of this message, remember this. God's plan and purpose always, always, always trumps our plan and purpose. Always. Mary's plan was to get married with her husband, raise a family in Bethlehem. Now those plans were going off the rails real quick. You can imagine what she's thinking at this point. This is not what I planned. This is not what I anticipated. When I thought about my future as a mother and a wife, none of this was in the picture, right? But in spite of not understanding why her plans, her hopes, her dreams were now totally shot, blown out of the water, by faith, she concedes. But I am the Lord's servant, so may it be to me as you have said. Literal translation you know what, God, in spite of how things look in my life right now, I'm trusting that you are in control and you have a plan and you have a purpose. We were created to look for purpose in the seemingly random and disappointing circumstances of life. And sometimes, sometimes we find it. Sometimes we find it immediately. Sometimes we find it eventually. But you know what? Sometimes we don't find it at all. But, but. At Christmas, we're reminded that life is not as random as it seems, that there is a story going on, a divine story. And if we choose and if we believe and if we trust, we can participate in that story. So when you find yourself praying to the very God who didn't come through for you the way that you wanted, the God that, that didn't do what you expected him to do, when your life is interrupted, please know that you're in good company with Mary the mother of Jesus, who as a teenage girl modeled the way forward for all of us when she whispered these words, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So in light of all that, here's how I'd like for us to close our time today. All of us, like Mary, have probably had our plans, our purposes interrupted at times. We bumped into something in life that was totally unexpected and totally not what we had planned or anticipated. And frankly, we've had a hard time finding a purpose in that, finding a place on our life tree where to put that thing because there just doesn't seem to be any place, let alone a perfect place. For some of you, it might have been loss of a job. For some of you, maybe, maybe there's some tension in your, maybe your marriage is on the table at this point, right? You didn't see that coming. For some of you, maybe you got some bad news about your health, maybe the health of a child, the health of a parent, the health of someone you love. For some of you, it was worse than that. Maybe not as bad as having to watch your child die on a cross, but in its own way, just as, just as traumatic. And you're trying to figure out where that event or that situation or that circumstance goes on your life tree. And if you're being honest, there have been times it's been very difficult for you to trust God through that ordeal. And you're not exactly sure what to do. So if you're here today, you say, yeah, I've got, I've got one of those and I'm not sure what to do with it. I need God to give me the courage to continue to believe him in spite of that. Would you just have the courage to, to just raise your hand? I don't typically do that, but I just, just go ahead, just, just raise your hand. 
Put it up high. Don't be shy. Way up high. Just all over the room. Doesn't matter if anyone else is not holding up their hand. They might be holding up their hand next week. Because that's how life is, isn't it? That's how life is. If you just be willing to put that hand up high. Because what I want to do is I want to pray for you, but I want someone else out there close by you. If you'd be willing, if you feel comfortable doing it, just put your hand on their shoulder. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we believe that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing's too difficult for you. That nothing takes you by surprise. So Lord, I pray that every single person here, every single person watching maybe or from our eCampus church who would say, you know what? I'm afraid. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know where to go from here. I don't, I don't have a category for this event and I, I'm just having a hard time getting past it. Would you give them the wisdom to know what to do and what they've just heard from what, with what they've just heard and then the courage to do it And I pray, Father, that that peace that surpasses all human comprehension, that you would grant them that, that you would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus and give them the faith and the courage to pray like Mary prayed. I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word, according to your will. And Father, for those who are here today and they're not sure maybe why they're here, They're not even sure where they stand with you. In fact, they're just so happy that someone might be willing to pray with them because it's been a long time since they prayed. I pray that even in this moment that they would experience your peace and grace in such a way that it draws their hearts to you and that they would not be afraid to hope, that they would not be afraid to wish, and they would not be afraid to look into the future because we believe that just as our God was with Mary, even through all the difficult, even traumatic events of her life, things seemed to serve no purpose that there was purpose, your purpose, and that you're still Emmanuel, you're still with us, you're still God with us, even then, especially then. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.